are listening to Based in Fact, a true crime podcast. Join host Lisa O'Brien and Kyle Evans as they examine America's most infamous true crime cases as they were established in our courts and the basis for the decisions of the appeals courts not the court of public opinion. Here's Lisa and Kyle. Welcome to season two of Based in Fact, a true crime podcast. We're your hosts, Lisa O'Brien and Kyle Evans. And this is our final episode of season two. In episode 15, State of Arizona versus Jody Ann Arias, part two, we'll continue talking about the 2008 murder of Travis Alexander, recap the five year pretrial period after Arias's arrest and her trial, which began with jury selection in December 2012 and testimony in January 2013. We'll move on to her direct appeal decided in April 2020, the disbarment of Arias' first chair defense attorney, Kirk Nurmi, and prosecutor Juan Martinez. Finally, we'll look at the status of her pending post-conviction claims in state court in Arizona. And good afternoon, Kyle. How are you? I'm doing well. Good afternoon, Lisa. How are you? Pretty good. Just running a little behind today. I know, understand. It's crazy time of year. Yes, it is. Uh, we had our, our Christmas party for the firm on Friday, uh, which was very nice. And for the first time in two years, I did not go back to the office and work. <laughs> so it was a it was a win-win situation for me. Excellent. All right. Very so good. we will get started with Jody Arias. Uh, part two, uh, again, as always in this case, the victim is Travis Victor Alexander. He was born July 28, 1977 in Riverside, which is in Riverside County, California. His parents were Gary David Alexander, who died in 1997, and Pamela Elizabeth Morgan Alexander, who died in 2005. He was essentially raised from the age of about eight by his paternal grandmother Norma Jean Preston Alexander Sarvey uh, she unfortunately passed away in December of 2012 right before Arius's trial uh, testimony started in Arius's trial his uh, siblings are Gary Greg Samantha Tanisha Hillary Allie and Stephen who once again I'm sorry Stephen Alexander if you're listening I didn't add his name. I don't know why. Um, Travis was a salesman with prepaid legal. Uh, he was also a motivational speaker. And he uh, he had injuries, including 27 stab wounds to the back, head, hands, yeah. one stab wound in the chest, a gunshot wound in the head, and his throat was slit. I know we've talked about it before, but I mean, just you, I, mean, I, I don't mean to be flippant, but just the thought of overkill, my goodness. Mm -hmm. I mean, 27 stab wounds plus gunshot. Correct. Correct. And the, the chest wound would have been fatal. Um, 
the gunshot wound would have would have proven fail, fatal but i think that was a that was a a means of trying to cover up so she could argue or or claim that there were two assailants one armed with mm. a knife and one armed with a gun all right that makes sense um you know i i i have no doubt whatsoever that arius meticulously planned this crime right down to a way to say, well, it couldn't have been one person because there are two weapons. Because that's a common argument uh, in criminal defense. If there's more than one weapon, then there had to be more than one person, even though one person can wield two different weapons during the course of a crime. Uh, the murder occurred on June 4th, 2008. Um Arias carefully planned her trip to Mesa, Arizona by renting a car in Redding, California, 98 miles south of her home in Wairika, rejecting a red car initially offered to her in favor of a white car. She didn't want to be noticed. She visited a former Clever. boyfriend and yeah, visited a former boyfriend in Monterey and borrowed two gas cans, then stopped in Salinas to purchase a third gas can and dye her hair from blonde to brown. On the drive to Mesa, Arias turned off her phone and took a detour, arriving in Mesa in the early hours of June 4, 2008. She entered Travis's house and testified that she found him up watching videos on his computer. They spent the morning and day having sex in Travis's room, including take his, taking pictures of each other that afternoon. After 5.30 p.m., Travis's camera was used to take photos of him in the shower. Minutes later, an accidental picture shows Travis Travis's bleeding body being dragged along the floor. Arius left Travis's body in his bathroom, lying on the floor in the shower. She gathered some evidence to take with her. Other was other evidence was run through the washer, including Travis's camera. Arius likely hoped that would destroy any any and all evidence of her presence at the time of Travis's murder. On the evening of June 9, two thousand eight. Friends returned to Travis's house, finally making contact with his roommates, Zach and Enrique. When, the, when Zach entered Travis's bedroom, he found Travis dead and a horrific scene in the bathroom and bedroom. Blood stained the walls, floor, and sink in the bathroom, and a large pool of blood stained the carpet at the transition between the bathroom hall and bedroom. Travis was declared dead by Mesa Fire Department paramedics at 10.37 p.m. on June 9, 2008 and Mesa police detectives arrived shortly thereafter at 11.50 p.m. Police waited to get a search warrant to enter the house, which was executed on June 10, 2008, at 9.35 a.m. And again, to belabor the point, I guess, um, they got a search warrant because Zach and Enrique lived in the house and had privacy rights in the house. And so if Zach mm. and Enrique had committed the murder and they had searched the house on the, well, that's where the body was found theory, Zach and Enrique could have very well gotten any incriminating evidence, whether related to the murder or related right. to some other crime. Some other, like if they excluded. had plot or something. Mm -hmm. Correct. Exactly. So um, while he was at the scene on June 10th, 2008, Detective Esteban Flores received a message asking him to call Arias. When they finally spoke, Arias claimed she'd last seen, she'd last been in Mesa in April of 2008. 
In a subsequent interview on June 19, 2008, she tried to point police toward other suspects, including a former roommate of Travis's. In addition to a voicemail left on the night of June 4, 2008, and an email sent on June 9, 2008, investigators discovered the camera in Travis's washing machine. Contrary to Arias's expectation, the memory card wasn't totally destroyed and techs were able to recover photographs Arias had tried to delete, including the ones taken on the afternoon of June 4, 2008, showing Arias with brown hair in Travis's bed and buck naked. They also I can't believe she was so stupid to leave it there. I mean, after doing the cleanup, I can't believe she just didn't take it. Well, you know, she thought if she ran it through... Arius thinks that she's smart, but she's really dumb. Yeah, I mean, she could have just thrown it in any random trash can and it would have been lost forever. Exactly. I mean, to leave it at the scene is insane. And, and but, you know, again, she thought she was smart and she was destroying the camera, destroying the memory card. And really, probably because that had happened to her. But the thing is, is she just didn't understand that there are ways to recover things. Right. Exactly. Even like, after something like even that. if it was soaked in water, like standing water, it's not 100 yeah. percent sure it would be dead forever. Yeah. Uh, they also recovered the accidental photograph, which gave them gave them the date and time of Travis's murder. Finally, they discovered a hair in blood and Aries's palm print in blood that was a mixture of hers and Travis's all of which were confirmed by DNA testing. Uh, Arias, again, was indicted on her birthday, June 9, 2008, by the Maricopa Ground Grand Jury. Uh, the charge was first-degree murder premeditated and an alternate charge of first-degree murder, felony murder. And interestingly enough, in Arizona, as in Minnesota and a couple of other cases, you can be charged with multiple felonies for the same transaction and be convicted of the multiple felonies for the same transaction. Mm. Um, which is very interesting in other States. It's you're either or right. You know, if you're, if you're charged with second degree murder, uh, you can't be convicted of second degree murder and manslaughter, you know, yep. unless there are multiple victims and the facts support, you know, the different, the yeah, different degrees not for the for same the multiple but not for the same transaction same victim um which is an interesting thing that i will probably hope to get an explanation of at some point in the future arius was arrested on june july 15 2008 in wairica siskiyou county california she told while at the siskiyou county jail she told two different stories. Um, she was interviewed by Siskiyou County detectives as well as Detective Flores with uh, Maricopa County um, or Maricopa uh, or Mesa Police Department. My mistake. Um, her first story, she wasn't in Mesa. She wasn't there. She would never hurt Travis. She didn't turn her phone off. She lost the cable in the car. And so she couldn't plug it in and it ran out of juice. She claimed she got lost and drove the wrong way. When she was shown the photo taken of her on June 4, 2008, she said, are you sure those pictures aren't from another time? And are you sure it's me? Because I was not there. 
She continues to deny, deny involvement or presence in Mesa on June 4, 2008. She continues to deny hurting Travis. When shown the picture, she continues to deny being in Mesa. Even when confronted with a picture of herself, she admits, that looks like me. It's also obvious during the interview that Arias repeatedly tried to manipulate Flores, speaking through tears and openly crying about Travis's death and her grief. On uh, July 16, 2008, in a second interview, um, probably she sat in jail overnight and she realized, well, that story's not flying. They have a picture of me. They have DNA evidence of me. I'm going to have to explain what happened. So she comes up with a second story claiming that a man and woman came into Travis's house while she was taking pictures of him in the shower. She claimed she was struck and stunned. She claimed they knew who she was and the man found her registration in her purse and threatened her and her family. She claimed the man tried to shoot her and the gun jammed. She claimed to have fought with the woman and escaped leaving Travis behind, mortally injured, and never calling for help out of fear of these assailants. Now, that's always it's always the funny things after the crimes that it's just the little stuff. Like, so wait, you never think to call the police yeah. like ever? Yeah. Um, and, you know, even when Travis's body is finally found on the night, she still doesn't tell the police. Right. Right away. Uh, OK, I was there. These intruders broke in. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is that the intruders were dubbed ninjas by Nancy Grace because the story is just so preposterous. Uh, I, I would, again, highly recommend watching her two interviews after her arrest on July 15th and this following one on July 16th and seeing her manipulative, lying through her teeth. Um you know, trying to manipulate the detectives into believing her story, thinking, I guess, that they were going to let her go. Um, and, you know, it's important to note that at this point, she hasn't invented the abuse allegations. She hasn't invented the pedophilia allegations. She hasn't invented any of the things that really tarnished Travis's name and reputation. Right. Um, and that's because none of them had ever happened. And that's why she hadn't invented them yet. Uh, during that period of time in Siskiyou County, and I believe after she got to Mesa, uh, she gave multiple media interviews. She professed her innocence and she repeated the intruder story. Uh, there was a hard copy interview. There was another interview uh, that appeared on Inside Edition. And there was also a segment on uh, 48 Hours. And um, this is also funny because when at her appeal, her attorney said, well, once she did die, was, was appointed counsel, she stopped doing that. Well, yeah, yeah. But if she had a chance, she probably would have done it again. Right. So, um, but yeah, she was trying to get her story out into the media, into the court of public opinion, and she was trying to portray herself as a victim. And one of the most disgusting things that she said is if Travis was here right now, he'd tell you I didn't do this. Uh, 
Yeah. She's, it's like, bitch, please. Yeah, she definitely seems more, she seems a little bit more distract, you know, um, disconnected from reality than even a lot of these folks. Yeah, and she, again, she's dumb. And she doesn't have a good memory, so she doesn't remember the lie she told. And so when she gets caught in a lie, she has to, and she's very elaborate. And I think she does weave a little bit of truth into the stories. But again, you know, they're, they're probably like 85% totally invented by her and have no basis in reality. You know, except maybe like if there's a picture of her in a blue shirt, well, she might weave that in because then she could show that picture of the blue shirt. They see what I said happened because look, there I am wearing a blue shirt because that's how her yeah. dumb little mind works. So uh, on July 28, 2008, she penned a letter um, to Travis's family um, that she, in a 10 page letter, she repeated the july 16 2008 intruder story professed her innocence and revealed deal details of her relationship with travis including the sexual aspects of that relationship to his mormon family yeah that's a great idea um the little freaking bitch i guess sometime before her arrest maybe or after her arrest she had flowers sent to his grandmother. Just to be nasty. And this was, I mean, July 28th was Travis's birthday. Would have been his 31st birthday. So she's just an evil little bitch. <laughs> I am not going to hold back. <laughs> I know it may seem like I hate every single criminal defendant that we talk about. And that's probably true. But Arius has a special little corner in my black heart with Richard Glossop and Rodney Breed and yeah. OJ Simpson and Casey Anthony. That, you know, I I just the the uh the hatred is so strong. Yeah, well you can see some of these are just even are just more obnoxious than others, and she's definitely near the top mm -hmm. of the list. Uh, and then in, in uh, I guess, around September, August, September 2008, uh, I used to have this letter. And I'm so mad. I didn't save it. I can't find it on any of my drives. And I can't find it on the Internet anymore. But she actually wrote a letter to prepaid legal in advance of their September convention and basically said, I'm awaiting trial. I'm innocent until proven guilty. And y'all can't talk about me or talk about my case or I will take legal action against you. If you do. And, you know, because she, she's worried. One of the things with a narcissistic personality is that they worry about how the world perceives them. Yeah. That is their number one. They have to be perceived in the best positive light all the time. Right. So, um, and she's got some borderline personality, which fits in the same kind of uh, symptomology or, or, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, so, some kind of insanity. Just in uh, Yeah. 
So the pretrial period for her case uh, went on from 2008 through 2009. Um, she was appointed, initially appointed counsel. And then the, I guess they were with the, they were with one indigent defense agency. There was a conflict of interest, or maybe they were with the public defender but one of the attorneys had a conflict of interest because she'd represented a potential witness. And so then they had to appoint new counsel. And that was when Lawrence Kirk Nermy and Jennifer Wilmot were appointed to represent Arius. Um, a lot of things went on or a lot of moving parts, but one of the things, one of the most egregious things again, that, that she did uh, that, Nermi and Wilmot did on her behalf is that they filed a settlement conference memorandum at which we realized, oh, her story number three is being, you know, brought since number one and number two went over like lead balloons. Um, she's got number three. That's when the attack on Travis's character began. Uh, she made allegations of domestic violence and pedophilia, which were the first time these things were mentioned by her. She made allegations about Travis's sexual history. She threatened collateral damage to others if the case went to trial because of the involvement of the Mormon church and members of the Mormon church. And she offered to plead guilty to second degree murder with a 25 year sentence, which would have meant that she would have gotten out of prison in about 10 years. Um, hmm. Yeah. Not a terrible deal, honestly. Well, no, no. Second degree murder is not a good deal. Uh, not for the state and not considering what she did to Travis. Oh, I don't think for the state. No, I thought for no, her, no. though. Yeah, for her, yeah. Probably... And, and, and in her mind, and in her mind, which we'll talk a little bit about later too. Um, because the state did not take this deal because the Alexander family would not approve it. It's their fault. All these horrible things came out about Travis. Not her fault for making him up. It's the state's fault and his family's fault for making her go to trial. So, um, I mean, she could have pled guilty to first-degree murder with death penalty taken off the table. Yeah, you know, that would have... That would have been... That would have been remorse. Right. Um, on... There was... The settlement conference was held on July 15th, and uh, Juan Martinez advised that he had no authority to offer a plea deal, nor did he have authority to accept the offer from defendant. Um, the judge got the Maricopa County DA's office involved and ordered uh, a guy by the name of Bob Schutz to appear and be present at 3 p.m. Um, the court reconvened with Dale Bosch from the Federal Public Defender's Office appearing with Nermi and Wilmot, or Nermi and Victoria Washington. Uh, she was actually, Victoria Washington was appointed before Wilmot. Uh, she ended up conflicting out later as well. Um, and the settlement conference continued without a result. Uh, and then there was oral argument on a motion to continue trial uh, filed by Arias. 
and a motion to compel, a motion to dismiss. And um, the trial date was ultimately vacated. And the state was ordered to provide a copy of a hard drive to the defense for review uh, or to provide a physical, the physical hard drive of one of Travis's computers for review on November 20th, 2012. So now we're at the trial. And um, the counsel for the state is Juan M. Martinez. Counsel for uh, Arias was Kirk L. Kirk Nermy and Jennifer Wilmot. Uh, Washington conflicted out. Uh, and another thing I didn't cover because my the trial is so much um, is that Arias did at one point try to represent herself to get some letters that allegedly support her pedophilia allegations that were allegedly written by Travis. It's, and that actually, though, they supported both her domestic violence and pedophilia allegations. She tried to get those in. And I think she had to represent herself because her attorneys weren't going to have anything to do with it. And so she represented herself. She was unsuccessful. And so then she went back to having counsel represent her. So um, jury selection began on uh, December 10th, 2012. And both sides announced ready. Then day two through day six was jury selection. A jury was finally picked on December 18, 2012. Um, there was a ruling on a motion filed on behalf of Arias to preclude her prior interviews, which was denied. A motion to preclude testimony regarding a theft of a gun from her grandparents' house was also denied. Uh, the court, and during the course of this trial, the court sealed argument on a lot of the defense motions. The court also allowed ex parte, meaning the defense presented their argument and evidence without the prosecutor present. To because they argued that if they presented it in an open court or they presented or the you know the transcripts were available to the public, that it would somehow hurt uh, Arias's right to a fair trial. So um, the the gun theft was initially denied and then the minute entry or the ruling says it was taken under advisement, but it was ultimately denied. Um, so then on December 20th, oh, and it's December 20th, 2012, day seven, that the 18 jurors were selected as trial jurors and alternates and they were instructed normal to, to have six alternates or did they think it was just going to be a really long trial because it was going to be a really long trial i think they were estimating four months um they wanted to have and six so alternates plenty of alternates and, yeah, yeah. and what happens is once the jury is fully instructed then six jurors would be or you know like if there are if there are 15 jurors left, three would be eliminated by lot. Right. Or six would be eliminated or four would be eliminated. And they would leave and then the jury would become begin uh, deliberating. So they don't you're not an alternate until every until the jury instructions are read, then they pick the alternates. That's interesting. Yes. And the alternates have to go off and wait 
they're not dismissed. They have to go off and wait so that if something happens to happens. a sitting juror during deliberation, one of the alternates who've heard all the evidence, who've been fully instructed, can come right. in and deliberations can start again. Um, so they're told to return on June on January 2nd, 2013. Now, um, it's kind of weird because the minute entries have a day for the trial. And then the videos online have days and those days don't always agree with one another. And it gets very confusing. And I can't vouch for the accuracy of any of my days because of those discrepancies. Like there's a day eight that I have not documented. I mean, I'm sure there's a minute entry between December 20th and uh, January 2nd, but I must have missed it. So, but a four-month trial, we can't be missing that much. So days nine for, through 16 were uh, January 2nd through January 17th, 2013, and basically consisting of opening statements, the state's case, uh, the defense made an oral mo motion for mistrial on day 14, alleging prosecutorial misconduct for failure to produce text messages, from the victim's cell phone in June of 2008. Uh, that was denied. And the state rested. And then Arias uh, attorneys argued a motion for judgment of acquittal, which was also denied. Uh, there was a ruling on January 10th, 2013. The uh, defense was requesting a new probable cause hearing, also known as Cronus hearing. And that was denied by the judge. They were arguing that F Detective Flores testified during the Cronus hearing in 2009, I believe, or 2010, that the gunshot came first, according to the medical examiner. When Detective Flores and the medical examiner testified at the trial in 2013 their testimony was not the same uh the medical examiner testified that the unequivocally that the gunshot was last and then test the flores testified also that the gunshot was last um at some point arias was a, was able to question detective flores and he basically said i must have misunderstood what the medical examiner had told me during the autopsy. Um, and given that Detective Flores isn't a doctor, he isn't a forensic pathologist, um, and he wasn't testifying based on the report saying a sequence of, of injuries, he was testifying to his memory of a statement made to him by the medical examiner. It's very possible that it was a mistake, a misunderstanding, whatever. Uh, it's not outside the realm of possibility, and it's hilarious to me when Arius and her advocates talk about Flores lying, and this person lying, and that person lying, and then you've got Miss Liar Queen 
sitting at the defense table wearing glasses she doesn't need, drawing with crayons all day, and crying at the appropriate time. Probably because Are there actually her- a lot of people out there that think she's innocent? I mean, compared to some of these other groupies, I mean, are there a lot of Arius groupies? There is a nut job site called Jody Arias is innocent.com. And they are absolutely horrible, disgusting people because not only do they attack Travis based on Arius's lies, but they attack his family members. And it's funny. Um, I remember seeing a name of all the jurors that voted for death on their website at one point and encouraging people to harass. And now I don't know how many people there are. I don't know whether it's one person with multiple personalities or whether it's a group of about, you know, 15 people. I don't know. Right. Uh, But they're disgusting. I mean, they're absolutely disgusting. They celebrate June 4th. They call anybody who doesn't believe Arius a pedo hugger. I mean, you know, they're disgusting. They're horrible. Um, And they're collecting money that Arius is not going to need because Arius's defense, including her post-conviction, is appointed by the state of Arizona and is being paid by the state of Arizona. So I hope at some point in time somebody looks into that shit. Mm. Um, But anyway, I digress. (laughs) so uh on on january 14 2013 there was a hearing on defendant's request for a stay of the aggravation phase now her guilt and innocent phase has just started she hasn't even been convicted yet and they are trying to get the aggravation phase stayed um because they are going to appeal the denial and the the discrepancy in the testimony at the probable cause Cronus hearing. Um, so they, uh, that stay is denied by the trial court. Uh, then on January 17th, 2013, the trial court issues a ruling denying the motion for mistrial, uh, finding that the defense has known that text messages were no longer available due to Verizon retention policy. And the defense knew that the text could have been photographed by detectives viewing them in 2008. There was no false information regarding the text messages provided to the defense. And there was no prejudice to the defense. So their judgment of acquittal was also denied. There was a sealed evidentiary hearing uh, scheduled for the 28th and 29th of January. Uh, That was continued to February 13th. The trial continued beginning on the 29th, and uh, that began the defense case, the 29th and 31st. And then days 20 through 30 or 38, depending on which which numbers you rely on, uh, from February 4th, 2013 to March 13th, 2013, Jody Arias testified in her own defense. Her direct examination was day 20. Her cross-examination went from days, went days 21 through 25. 
Um, day 25, there was a hearing to unseal documents. And then day 26 to 27, her attorneys did redirect with Jody. On day 28, 29, the jury got to question Jody. Um, there may have been some jury questions on day 27, but I wasn't really clear on that. On day 29, the defense got to ask follow-up questions of Jody. 29 through 30, the state also got follow-up questions. And then day 30, there was a juror follow-up questions. Defense follow-up of that follow-up and state follow-up of that follow-up. And then it looks like that's when Jody stepped down. That's day 30. There are eight days unaccounted for, but I don't know whether um, that is because uh, the videos are actual, they're, they're counting by actual dates, whereas some dates were counted as trial dates that weren't really trial dates. I don't know. So this is where my numbering went all wonky. Um, on the 29th or, or the 28th of February, because 2013 is an odd year, it wouldn't have been a leap year. Um, Arias filed an application for interlocutory stay of aggravation trial with the Arizona Supreme Court, which was ultimately denied, although I don't know when the court denied it. And then days 31 through 46 were defense experts and the defense rested. Um, there was also a juror dismissed due to improper statements to other jurors on April 4th, 2013. A second juror was dismissed on April 12th, 2013 due to illness. Um, on day 47, uh, April 15th, 2013, there were evidentiary hearings on allegations of attorney misconduct and witness intimidation. Basically, um, Juan Martinez, again, I would suggest if you have nothing you want to watch, go to YouTube, find Jody Arias' trial, and watch the just the defense case, um, starting with Jody's testimony. Um, and, uh, Juan Martinez, he, he's a little guy, but he's got a very big personality. And so he, uh, is very animated. He can get very loud. He's very quick on his feet and he can be very cutting. And so he, they made, they made complaints Arius complained about how he treated her defense experts um but you know her defense experts brought it on themselves and again as i said i think i said in the earlier episode the first episode he was not exactly nice to his own witnesses during the state's case if a witness did not give him the answer he thought they were going to give him on direct, he would correct them. You know, like, that's not what I asked you. Let me phrase it another way. Right. Um, and, and, and sound, there was one bless her heart, one of the forensic experts, and she's trying to be careful in what she says, because nowadays, you have to be careful of what you say or 
20 years down the road, they're going to say you lied. Even though at the time, what you said was absolutely correct. Um, and she was trying to be very careful and he didn't like that. And so she testified on like day three and he was a little, a little brusque with her. So it wasn't just, and like, you know, Richard, Richard Samuels, oh my God, watch his testimony. He's like the nutty professor. <laughs> um, he's got this, you know, bald head with long fringe of hair like a 1960s <laughs> character on laughing um cheap suit <laughs> bumbling stumbling and you know trying very 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 hard to give the testimony that's going to make arius look like she was abused and one thing he didn't realize was that when he administered the PTSD testing to her, it was at the time she was still telling the intruder story. So that was the basis of her trauma. And I'm getting an internet connection unstable. Okay, sorry, sorry folks, I'm getting an internet connection unstable. So I will move on. <laughs> Because I don't know how long my internet's going to last now. Um, we have been let down, sadly, by Cox Communications. Um, so anyway, they, they were complaining about how he treated Dr. Samuels, how he tre treated Dr. Alice LaViolette, who actually, you know, at one time said Snow White was a domestic violence victim. The seven dwarves were, you know, her abusers. Um, anyway, so uh, watch, you should watch that testimony. It is hilarious. Yeah, he and, sounds like a character. <laughs> and LaViolette. Maybe is a crazy too. person. I mean, LaViolette is like, um, you know, the short butch haircut and um, uh, the kind of. God, how do I kind of hippy dippy wardrobe is the only way I could think to describe it, like long flowing pants and, you know, daishiki style. I don't know what to call it. Her, you know, I don't know clothing. where they find these people. Yeah, as like hippy dippy. That's what I'm gonna say. Um, and she uh is just very you could tell she's very arrogant. And she doesn't like to be questioned. So that did not bring out the best in her when Juan Martinez began his cross-examination of her. Um, and she started pushing Martinez's buttons. Because she's a psychologist and she knows how to do that shit. You know. Yep. Um, she's just manipulating him to make him look bad in front of the jury. Correct. Trying. And, and but I think, you know, really, it ended up making her look bad. Uh, and it ended it ended up basically what happened was LaViolette and Samuels, because they wouldn't concede anything on cross-examination, they looked too biased. They looked like they were biased and they were just saying what was going to get Jody Arias off. Right. 
Um, and you don't do that when a man has been stabbed 29 times in the back, shot in the head, had his throat slit, or stabbed 29 times in the back and chest and head and hands and has a throat slit and then get shot in the head. You just, you know, you need to temper that shit. So um, the motion for mistrial was denied. And um, then they went on to uh, the state's rebuttal, which occurred during days 48 to 53, April 16th to April 25th. Uh, juror 8 was dismissed due to a DUI arrest on April 25th, 2013. And jurors were instructed to return on, on May 1st, 2013. Day 54 was May 1st. The defense had a brief rebuttal case. And they brought in another psychologist to say not only was Jodi Arias a domestic abuse, abuse victim, but she also had PTSD. And to try to um, undo the damage on testing that Samuels had done by giving Jody Arias, not recognizing that Jody Arias' story had changed after she took the PTSD test. Um, and then the state had a brief sir rebuttal. Um, and then they had final jury instructions, the state's closing argument on May 2nd, which was either day 63 or day 55, depending on how you count them. Uh, May 3rd, the defense closing and the state rebuttal closing argument were held. And then jurors were selected by random lot as alternates who would go and be sequestered while the jury deliberated so that it, if a juror needed to be replaced. Uh, the jury deliberations took place on days 64 to 67 from May 3rd to May 8th, 2013. On May 8th, they came back with their verdict, guilty. Five jurors found Arias guilty of premeditated murder, and seven jurors found her guilty of both premeditated and felony murder. Uh, it was unanimous guilty of murder, first degree. Uh, whether it's premeditated or felony, doesn't matter. It's guilty, first degree murder, unanimous. Um, Jody Arias on May 7th, 2013, Jody Arias left a voicemail for a Fox News reporter, local Fox station, um, thinking she was going to be acquitted. And she was making arrangements for an interview the moment the acquittal came through. Well, she was surprised. But she left the she left the court and she went through with the interview anyway, crying and saying, I want to be put to death because death is freedom sooner. Boo hoo hoo. Uh, and still professing her innocence and still trashing Travis and still, you know, trying to play the victim. And um, again, that's something you should watch for yourself. Um, is pretty disgusting though, but she set this up and again, I think she set it up thinking she was going to be acquitted and she was not. Um, and then on May 14th, of course, her counsel filed a motion to withdraw 
due to the interview on May 8, 2013, because they feel like, well, this hurts you during the aggravation phase and during the penalty phase, because if jurors saw this, you look really bad. Um, the court also ordered, they, they, the court denied the, the motion to withdraw, but ordered that no further media interviews with the areas would be permitted, should be permitted by the sheriff. And I want to bring out one other little thing too. People have a lot of complaints about Sheriff Joe Arpaio and some of them are probably justified to a degree. But what people forget is that the sheriff is responsible for pretrial confinement, transporting to and from court, and dealing with you while you are at the courthouse, awaiting appearance, trial, whatever. Um, that is not something a judge has any control over. It's not something the prosecutor has any control over. And it's really not something the defendant has any control over because, honey, you're in jail. You are no longer the boss. Uh, and that is a fact of life. Get used to it. Um, and there were a lot of complaints during the course of the trial about how Arius was having to get up too early to come to court. And how she wasn't getting her lunches on time because the court was running late and she wasn't having time to eat because she had to be back in court and, you know, all these things. And multiple times the judge was like, y'all need to take this, go to the sheriff's office and talk to the sheriff's office and work it out with the sheriff's office. Um, you know, because sometimes they finish court and there would be no lunch for Jody. Um, and for obvious reasons, you know, the attorneys can't buy her a sandwich, uh, and, and send her to the jail with the sandwich, you know, because of contraband, which we'll talk about a little bit later, because boy, does Jody love smuggling contraband. Um, and anyway, so they find her guilty. Uh, the motion withdrawal is denied. There's a minute entry on May 9th, which is actually before this motion to withdraw, continuing the aggravation phase to May 15th. And obviously, by this time, the Supreme Court has denied uh, Arias's request for, an, for a stay. Day 69, May 15th, they have the aggravation phase, which was very quick. Opening statement, witnesses presented. Um jury instructions, closing arguments, and jury deliberations. And on that same date, they made a unanimous finding of one aggravating factor of especially cruel. Then the penalty phase begins, and uh, that's days 70 to 72, May 16th, 2013, to May 21st, 2013. Um, there were opening statements. Stephen and Samantha Alexander both gave victim impact statements. Arius made a statement. There were jury instructions and closing arguments. And then uh, on day 71, there was a motion for mistrial and motion to withdraw uh, filed by NERMI. And that was denied. 
Um, deliberations began on May 21st, 2013 and concluded on May 23rd, 2013, days 72 through 70, 74. An impasse instruction was read in open court on day 73. Um, and then the, ver the verdict came back on May 23rd, 2013. Uh, the jurors were able to reach a unanimous verdict. Eight voted for death and four voted for life. And so the, then the jurors were dismissed and a mistrial was declared due to no unanimous penalty verdict by jurors. A new trial on a penalty phase retrial was set on July 18, 2018. Got it. So just not a guilt or innocence retrial, just for the penalty phase. Correct. Correct. A lot of defendants will try during the pretrial, and Jody Arias tried during the pretrial, to get uh, the, the aggravation phase thrown out. She tried to get the guilt innocence phase thrown out. She tried to get the charges completely dismissed. Um, and I'm going to, because of the internet instability, I don't think I'm going to go as minutely into the pre-trial, uh, pre-retrial period as, um, I did with the pre-trial for the trial. Yeah, that's probably um, good. Because I don't want to, um, I don't want to end up with the internet going completely down on me, which it has done before. <clears throat> Pardon me. Anyway. But I can say one thing. Generally, the court, Judge Sherry Stevens, erred on the side of caution in favor of Arius in the majority of her rulings during this penalty phase retrial, pretrial period. She sealed a lot of the hearings and the bench conferences making the transcripts not available to the public, making the minute entries not available to the public. Um, because Arizona is one of those states that has very open public records uh, laws. So a lot of the transcripts were sealed. A lot of the minute entries were sealed. And that was to prevent anything becoming being talked about in public that was potentially harmful to her defense or to her um her retrial or tainting a, a future jury um so then there were several motions to continue that retrial and ultimately it was continued multiple times um and Jody Arias did also file motions to change venue, to sequester the jury, and for individualized voir dire of the jury. That was denied in 2013 uh, in November, uh, basically because there was no good cause shown for any of her requests, uh, that uh, especially sequestration for two months, which is what they were predicting the retrial would last, would pose a hardship to jurors, and would pose a substantial expense to Maricopa County, which was still paying for her attorneys as well. Um, and as a lot of people say Kurt Nermy just stayed on it for the money, but he tried multiple times. When he left the PD's office, he thought, I'm getting off, and he didn't. And so, yes, uh -huh. then he had to be paid 
because he was being forced to continue representing Arians. Um, he tried to withdraw after the uh, the jury didn't after the mistrial. He tried to withdraw, but he was made to stay on. Um, Arias tried to change attorneys at that point, but there was one period prior to her first trial or the guilt in innocence phase of her trial where he wanted to withdraw. And she said, oh, no, he knows this case. I've been working with him for years. He needs to stay on and represent me. So she didn't try multiple times. She tried one time after the mistrial to get him replaced. Um, and it didn't work. Get over it, girl. So um, they also... Um, <laughs> the judge also um, limited media coverage. Well, why don't you just keep her? Don't post her. Carl? You're not muted, sweetie. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so anyway... Um, they filed Sorry about that. I thought I was muted. My wife just banged on the door with a stray dog that she found. <laughs> Why don't you just keep her to post? I know. I was like, You're the only like, husband in the world that would ever say that. She was really cute. She didn't have a collar or anything on. I was like, oh, she's adorable. So I apologize. Hopefully you can uh, strike this from the uh, edit this out. No, we're we're back to we're back to warts and all. Uh oh. Okay. Well then. Well, next week we'll we'll update you if you have the dog or not. Yeah, please update us on Facebook. Uh. Anyway, so they they tried to get venue changed. They filed a motion for reconsideration. Uh. They tried to get jurors' Twitter information, which was denied because the court has no legal authority to do that. Um. They tried, you know, multiple times to get change of venue reconsidered. Uh, they went through 2014 and then in, uh, toward the end of 2013, Arias filed a motion to dismiss the death penalty as cruel and unusual punishment, which was denied. Basically the defendant misconstrues the eighth amendment narrowing requirement. Um, in this case, the first jury found the especially cruel aggravator proven rendering the defendant eligible for the death penalty. The United States Supreme Court has upheld the constitutionality of this aggravator. They uh, have The Arizona Supreme Court also has found that the aggravating circumstances set forth genuinely narrow the, cl the class of murders that are death eligible and therefore do not violate the 8th and 14th Amendments. The fact that the first jury was unable to unanimously agree on the sentence to be imposed is in opposite to the Eighth Amendment's narrowing requirement. The class of first-degree murderers eligible for the death penalty is not broadened by a jury's inability to determine the appropriate sentence in the penalty phase. Defendant has not been acquitted of the death sentence by the jury's failure to reach a verdict, and thus there is no constitutional bar to retrying the penalty phase. Um, and that is also the... the uh, retrying the punishment phase does not result in cruel and unusual punishment or violate the double jeopardy clause. Uh, there was a status conference held uh, where trial dates in March were vacated and oral arguments were set on March 17th. 
The trial date was eventually reset to September 8, 2014. Um, then in February of 2014, this is one thing uh, where Jody Arias likes to smuggle contraband out of the jail. She wants to do something wrong and not get caught. And that's probably the primary reason. Although she did smuggle at one point, she smuggled magazines out with coded messages for one of her witnesses so that she could uh, influence that witness's testimony um, because his interview with police did not go the way she wanted it to. Um, so what happened was she was visiting with her mitigation specialist, a woman by the name of Maria De La Rosa, and she had a pencil drawing that she had made that she gave to the mitigation specialist in a sealed envelope marked legal papers, even though it's not really legal papers. It's a drawing by the person who considers herself an artist, but most of her art consists of copies of other things like copies of photographs of Frank Sinatra. So she's like a female Hunter Biden. Probably so. Except celebrities aren't paying thousands of tens of thousands for it. Correct. But anyway, so it's a pinwheel drawing. It, it it's it's the pencil drawing. She smuggles it out. Um judging by Maria Delarosa's attitude and demeanor, she probably was enjoying. She probably is one of those people that enjoys smuggling things out of the jail for people in Arizona just to stick it to Joe Arpaio. Yeah. Um, and so she was enjoying this. But, you know, there's a reason that they frown upon stuff like this. And that is because somebody sitting in jail awaiting trial or sentencing for first degree murder, possible death sentence, they can be used, they can use the mitigation specialist to smuggle threatening correspondence to witnesses and sorry you probably said this when i got distracted by the strange puppy what is it the mitigation specialist they are the person that finds medical history and educational ah. history mental health history who tries to find witnesses to come and testify to what to a come good and person and what an unusual thing you know this whole event is for that person and you know to try and uh, persuade jurors to save uh, the person's life. Got it. That makes sense. And they're usually a paralegal. Uh, they gather the medical records and mental health records and educational records. And then they provide summaries to the attorneys to decide ultimately what strategies to use during the case in mitigation at the penalty phase. Uh, and I've often heard that uh, in the West Memphis three, in this case, well, that they have a mitigation specialist. They're presuming she's going to be convicted. Well, that's what they have to do, buddy, because you don't have a lot of time between the day you're found guilty and the day your penalty phase starts. It's not like you're going to be found guilty and then they're going to adjourn the trial for a year for you to bring somebody in to get them up to speed. That's not how it's going to work. And it's never going to be how it's going to work in any jurisdiction, in any state. Um, so you have to have the 
mitigation specialist from day one working on the case and putting it together so that it is ready to go when the penalty phase ultimately comes up upon you. Um, so then uh, the jail, when Delarosa was leaving, the jail ended up opening that envelope and searching it and finding a pinwheel drawing that they had noted was in Arias' cell um, prior to this visit. Um, and I think another reason that this was a problem is because, again, while this wasn't something threatening to the Alexander family or to the prosecutor or to the detectives, it was still something that was being disguised as legal papers to be brought out of the jail without the jail being aware. And if they want to take artwork out, they should say, you know, Jody gave me this drawing. I'd like to take it and put it in her file. Can I do that? And more likely than not, they'd say, okay, they'd look at it, make sure it's not gang related, make sure it's not, you know, threatening to anybody or depicting a member of the family, you know, dead and, and they'll yeah. let it go. But you have to go through chant. You have to go through proper channel, right? You can't just sneak stuff out. Um, and they were sneaking it out disguised as legal papers. It, but it wasn't a letter to the attorneys. It wasn't a, an analysis of a witness statement or uh, identifying witnesses or anything of that nature. So on March 13, 2014, uh, De La Rosa was questioned by the sheriff's office and then presented with a letter advising her that she was banned from visiting inmates at the MCSO jails. Because she was smuggling stuff out that she wasn't supposed to be doing. Um, and that is not an unreasonable response. Um, then on March 19, 2014, Arias and the sheriff's office reached a stipulation about Delarosa's visits, and Delarosa was allowed not only to begin visiting Arias again, but was also allowed to begin visiting other inmates um, without admitting to doing anything wrong. Uh, then there's another minute entry documenting the stipulation and sealing it and uh, denying Arias's motion to dismiss notice of intent to seek the death penalty due to state's preclusion of mitigation specialists um, because her Delarosa's visiting privileges privileges had been reinstated and again this was not the state Juan Martinez didn't do this Esteban Flores didn't do this on behalf of Mesa PD this was done internally by the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office in response to De La Rosa bringing a letter uh, bringing a drawing in an envelope marked legal papers out of the jail from Arias So, you know, there you have it. So it's not, like I said, I don't think it's an unreasonable response. And it's not a state action. It's the action of the sheriff's office yeah. as a part of jail security. Yeah, you can't important. just have certain celebrity defendants because they think they're pretty, have unlimited, you know, privileges and mm -hmm. 
you know, face no consequences. So uh, then also during this time, CNN was challenging Judge Sherry Stevens' uh, decision not to allow the penalty phase retrial to be recorded or broadcast. Um, And what ended up happening was uh, Stevens was going to allow it to be videoed, but the videos could not be aired until after a verdict was reached essentially, um, which is a little out of order, but I might as well just go there now. Um, then Arias filed a motion to reconsider and re-urge requests for evidentiary hearing on motion to dismiss due to preclusion of mitigation specialist. Uh, Arias also filed a prisoner civil rights complaint and request for TRO um, against Joseph Arpaio, the, the, county, the Maricopa County Sheriff, and Nancy Grace. And like a dummy, I didn't download that complaint when I should have. So I don't know what the crazy allegations were. But knowing Jody, they were pretty wild. Um, Also, someone by the name of Christopher Alexander joined her as a plaintiff in the claim. The The court ordered that those two cases be separated and each have their own docket numbers, which was done. Uh, and then there was an oral argument held, I think, on the motion to to dismiss um, because of preclusion of the mitigation specialist on May 16th, 2014. On May 21st, 2014 is when the judge ultimately found that proceedings could be recorded but not aired until after jury reaches a verdict. Uh, then there was a ruling on May 27th, 2014 on the notice of in, the the motion to dismiss notice of intent due to preclusion and basically the judge found that there was no good cause shown defendants failed to establish prejudice by the incident defendants failed to establish her relationship with her attorneys was affected by the incident the court has observed no change in defendants interactions with the mitigation specialist and the defendant has failed to establish different treatment of mitigation specialists by the sheriff's office um the request for a TRO in Arias versus Grace was denied without prejudice, and the clerk was instructed to, instructed to close the case, which was done on May 29, 2014. Um, then, uh, and and I'll look at that in more depth some other time, because uh, I'm sure it's crazy. Hundred um, percent, it's crazy. <laughs> then. Um, uh, somebody, and I don't know who it was, filed a motion to intervene with newly discovered withheld evidence at an amnesty's curiae brief, uh, which was stricken from the record on July 11th, 2014. Um, there was a mo- motion for deposition also pending, which was going to be heard at the next hearing. Um, of course, they also had their, their capital case management conferences frequently (laughs) and um, uh, the penalty phase was reset to um, September 29, 2014. Um, The media tried to get modification of the court's orders on coverage of the penalty phase. There was a status conference on September 2nd, uh, oral argument on uh, this is another time where Arius tried to represent herself 
I think what she was doing is she was trying once again to get Travis's letters, purported letters in. And um, she very briefly represented herself and then relinquished that pro se status, pro per status, and Nermie and Wilmot were re reinstated as counsel. And they remained, even when she was pro per, they remained as her attorney. Um, lucky them. Yeah, lucky them. I know. Kurt Nermy. Poor Kurt Nermy. Um, <laughs> I do. I I mean, what he did was reprehensible, but I do kind of feel sorry for him. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes he you're suffers like, the kinda... consequences, which we'll yeah. speak of later. Right. Um. So anyway, they had some seal proceedings, uh, regarding a bishop in the Mormon Church with whom Travis had lived at one time. And, and she know, never, of, did she convert to Mormonism or just kind of like, she sort converted of... to Mormonism shortly after meeting Travis, but I don't believe that it was a, a sincere belief in anything. I think it was, he's a Mormon, so I have to be a Mormon. Yeah. Like not like him. she fully like actually, which, as evidenced by the fact that she continued humping him like a bunny. She's like, Touché. and she said to somebody, you know, like, I, I'm a Mormon, but like, I don't believe in this. No coffee and no, no, no Coke <laughs> and no, you know, I'm just like a Mormon in name only. Yeah. Just, uh... um, you know, it wasn't a sincerely held belief as it was with Travis. And again, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, I believe that a Travis didn't think he was doing anything wrong. And he believed because I'm sure she convinced him that she was cool with everything. Yeah. Um, and this is because of the fact that when she testifies, she tries to act like all these sexual deviant sexual acts that they engaged in were somehow shocking and, and horrible to her and she didn't like him and didn't enjoy and didn't have fun. But yet there's a recording of her laughing and giggling like a little schoolgirl, and saying, Oh, that's so debasing. I love it. You know, I mean, it's like, don't, 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 don't play. You're not a good actress girl. Okay. Yeah. But I believe well, hey, Lisa, that she Lisa, can be not that to distract convincing. you, but uh, you know, some of these podcasts are, uh, you know, they do these live events. I think uh, we should do our first live events with Nermy because he does a stand up at the uh, Stir Crazy Comedy Club in Glendale, Arizona. <laughs> have a have a dual show with him at the uh, with Nermy at his oh, comedy club. God. I, you know, I I don't. <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to check that out. <laughs> I I I tried to stand read, up. I tried to read his first book and oh my god. It was I mean it was as poorly written as his briefs. I mean he doesn't strike Personally, me. I, I don't I think, think anybody's going to accuse him of being president of the Mensa club. Yeah. I mean cuz personally I think one of the reasons that they never won any of these motions <laughs> really is he's is illiterate. Because they were so badly written and they yeah. were so they were so wham, 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 because 
one of the constant themes in here is they will bring up this shit over and over and over again. And part of the reason I think that happened is because I think Jody was driving that bus. Well, what about he was mean to Alice LaViolette? So, okay, let's wham wham about that. Um, and, and so I think a lot of it was like throwing stuff at the wall to see if it would stick, and it never did. Thank Jesus it never did. Um, anyway, so penalty phase retrial finally begins on, on uh, September 29, 2014. Jury selection and preliminary instructions go from days one through seven, and that concludes on October 21st, 2014. And what you have to remember is Saturday, Sundays, and you know probably holidays, and, and there are going to be other days where the courtroom was dark. Um, so it's going to sound like a lot of days that don't, don't count because it was probably like the 29th and then they came back on, you know, the first or the second, and then they may not have gone on Fridays. The scheduling of courts can sometimes be like that. Uh, day seven began with motions in limine, which were granted so the prosecutor could not talk about Arias smuggling contraband out of the jail. She couldn't he couldn't talk about her changing counsel and representing herself. He couldn't talk about an interview given by a cellmate which alleged that Jody had threatened um, trial participants, including the prosecutor, and he couldn't talk about her lack of remorse. They had opening statements, and right off the bat, Nermi orally makes a motion for mistrial. On days 8 through 11, witnesses testify. Day 12, victim impact statements were given. That was uh, October 30th, 2014. Tanisha and Stephen Ale Tanisha Sorensen and Stephen Alexander uh, each gave victim impact statements. Um, then there were sealed proceedings on October 30th, 2014. And basically what we know now is Arius wanted to testify, but she knew her image in the court of public opinion was so fucking bad that she didn't want her transcripts or her testimony to ever see the light of day. She wanted it for the jury and that jury only. And so they argued that if she, if her testimony was being recorded, she wouldn't be able to adequately express herself. And she wouldn't be able to say what she really wants to say because she would censor herself. And Judge Stevens, again, made the wrong decision for the right reason. She was trying to do what is her primary job, and that is to protect Jody Arias's rights to a fair trial. And so anybody who criticizes Judge Stevens for the, the time she ruled in Jody's favor are totally out of line because there were so many times that she ruled against Arias and did quite well doing it by laying it out and spelling it out, um, as you can see later on, we have some very lengthy rulings that were almost too good. Not yeah, and I think 
not to read verbatim, which I probably when, will not do, but yeah. yeah. When sometimes I think they do it just to be super conservative because they don't want to risk getting it thrown out on appeal. Correct. That is so they really a, that is they err on the side of the defendant. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we may not agree with that, but again, that is their that is one of their primary jobs. I mean, their job is to ensure a fair trial for both sides. But if you've got a defendant saying, well, if if the cameras are there, I'm going to be worried about them taking pictures of me. And so I won't be able to say what I want to say to this jury. And if I don't say what I want to say, they're going to kill me, judge. Right. So... Um, but then this was a steel proceeding as well. So then on the 31st of October, there was a motion to prohibit the media from videoing Arias in her jail attire, because apparently any proceedings where the jury was not going to be present, she was in a striped, a striped mm. suit and it was not uh, from Seville Row. <laughs> Or, or K and uh, K and M. H and M. H and M. H and M. Yeah, that's it. H and M. Sorry. Um. So anyway, so ultimately the judge ruled that she could testify in a sealed courtroom, banning the public, but Alexander's family was going to be there, and there would be no cameras. Um. And the media on October 31st filed a motion to stay closed portions of the trial. On days 13 and 14, which were October 31st and November 3rd, Arias was allowed to testify in closed proceedings. And then a three-judge panel of the Arizona Court of Appeal granted a stay on that same date. Um, on the 4th, an expedited transcript of the 1030 hearing was ordered and to be transmitted to the court of appeal because the uh the um news outlets had all filed an appeal at the at the arizona court of appeal division one um on the fourth there was oral argument on a motion for sanctions because there was part of the october hearing that was broadcast that included video footage of a conversation between Arias and the mitigation specialist. Um, then days 14 through 21 were uh, November 5th to 20 for, to December 2nd. Um, they resumed proceedings uh, with witnesses other than Arias testifying. The motion for sanctions was denied because there was no audio and so what was being said between Jody and the mitigation specialist was not being was not being broadcast um there was a minute entry on December 4th that the trial was in recess until December 10th there was an evidentiary hearing on another motion to dismiss um and then there was a an order vacating the evidentiary hearing and resetting it to 12 uh, December 11th where it was ultimately held on defendant's motion to dismiss. Uh, then days 22 through 25 were taken up with the testimony of Arius's psychology uh, 
probably psycho psychological testing expert, Dr. Robert Geffner, who had readministered testing to Arius in the interim between the first penalty phase and the second. On December 16, 2014, uh, the Arizona Court of Appeals ruled or handed down a, a decision in the media challenge to Judge Stevens closing the courtroom for secret testimony from a witness who was ultimately determined to be Arius. And basically, this is what they had to say. Um, the issue is whether a clear and present danger existed under Arizona criminal rule of criminal procedure 9.3 that justified excluding the press and public during portions of the penalty phase of the trial. The court held that the trial court erred in closing the penalty phase of defendant's capital murder trial to the press and the public because defendant did not demonstrate a clear and present danger to a fair trial with an impartial jury. The trial court correctly found that there was an alternative to closing the trial by having the press and public view defendant's testimony from a different courtroom. Even if defendant decided not to testify in open court, her lawyers of the state could present evidence from the guilt phase trial or the earlier penalty phase trial that could be considered to be mitigation. So the ruling was vacated. And this is their, basically they address the whole issue of Arias testifying secretly and a couple of paragraphs and ultimately they said a defendant who testified in open court during the guilt phase of the trial cannot decide she will only testify in the penalty phase if the press and public are excluded and her testimony is sealed until after any verdict neither the rule nor case law envisions that her concerns amount to a clear and present danger to a fair trial before an impartial jury the trial court correctly found that there was an alternative closing the trial, having the press and public view her testimony from a different courtroom. Although Arias balked at the alternative, she has not demonstrated clear and present danger to a fair trial with an impartial jury. Uh, so consequently, they granted petitioner's request for relief and vacated the ruling allowing Arias to testify with the courtroom closed to the public and press. Arias filed a request for stay and petition for review on January 5th, 2015 with the Supreme Court of Arizona. Um, the trial continued from uh, January 8th to January 12th um, with a motions in limine argued and testimony continued. And then the trial recessed until January 14th. It resumed with testimony on the 14th. There was also a ruling handed down. And yes, I know this is a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, but basically, Arias had filed a motion to dismiss notice of intent to seek death penalty due to defendant's inability to pr present a complete case for life, which she filed in September before the appeals court ruled against that. Uh, the motion to dismiss the notice of intent to seek death penalty due to continued misconduct, filed October 1st. Motion to dismiss the state's notice of intent to seek death penalty due to continued state misconduct, which was supplemented on October 24th. Motion to dismiss all charges with prejudice and or in the alternative to dismiss the state's notice of intent to seek the death penalty due to recently discovered purposeful and egregious prosecutorial misconduct and a supplement filed on November 10th, 2014. 
the state had filed motions for discovery and sanctions as to a a computer of Travis's and a motion to strike. Um, they also the defense filed motions for reconsideration of the uh, motion to seek the death penalty uh, due to an inability to def to pr present a complete case for life, which they filed after the the. Um, no, they filed it before the appellate court decision. And then they supplemented several of their motions. They filed some additional evidence and oral argument was conducted on the 11th. Now, uh, I'm not going to go through all this, but basically the court found that they had that she had presented no good cause to dismiss the notice of seek to seek the death penalty on the prosecutorial misconduct or refusal of witnesses to testify uh, because she's failed to establish that any misconduct by the state has impaired or hindered the defendant's ability to present mitigating evidence and or prove mitigating factors. Um, she failed to prove that the sheriff's office violated her rights. She failed to prove that Flores's testimony was inconsistent um, because, again, she's, you know, harping on these issues that have already been decided against her. She's trying to re-argue them and and get a different result, um, which proves that Jody Arias is fucking insane. Yeah, she just <laughs> keeps. Yeah, she just keeps. Uh, it's like banging her head against the wall. Um, you know, and, and, you know, complaining about, uh, Flores's wife was apparently posting stuff on social media and saying, well, he must be telling her things that were in sealed proceedings because even though that's not what she was posting about and she never proved that there were any sealed, uh, ex parte, you know, topics posted by the wife. Um, and they also were complaining that um, the the contents of one of Travis's computers were altered. And it's kind of funny because they were altered twice when the computer was brought out of a sleep state on June, on June 9th. And then when the computer was turned on by Arius's defense attorneys in 2009 when they were examining the computer. And one of the other things too is that Arius you know Arius was making these pedophilia allegations and so they were claiming her experts were saying well I saw pornography on the computer but I wasn't really supposed to be documenting that so I just didn't do anything with it. Or I saw pornographic website you know addresses in the internet browsing history or here or there. And um, like, if that exists, that proves her allegations. She's got kind of an ipso facto kind of, I think it's ipso facto. It's like, well, this exists and that proves what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Even though That's the two a, yeah. things are not necessarily uh, the same. Um, anyway, so all of those motions were denied because ultimately Arias failed to prove any allegations 
or that anything she was alleging was affecting her right to a fair trial or her ability to present her defense. On day 29, Arias uh, informed the court that she would not continue her testimony. And then there was a minute entry for a denial of a motion to preclude witnesses. I don't know exactly what witnesses that those were. Um, and then day 30 to 39, testimony continued. I'm not quite sure whose case was going because in the penalty phase and in this penalty phase, the defense actually was going first and the defense was getting the last word. Although I don't recall that that's what happened during the first penalty phase. On uh, February 10th, 2015, the Arizona Supreme Court denied Arias's request to review a uh, reversal of Judge Stevens's order permitting secret testimony. Um, and the plea, the transcripts of the hearings on the 30th and 31st were unsealed. Uh, the testimony continued on days 42 and 43. Uh, then there was a ruling on the 20th denying a motion for mistrial um, that occurred during the cross-examination of examination of Dr. Robert Geffner, basically, again, you know, complaining that Martinez was just too tough on Dr. Geffner and accused him of things he didn't do. And um, basically, everything he did was within parameters of cross-examination. You're allowed to expose witness bias. If you think the witness has formed some kind of attachment and in a you know, a, a psychologist, if they formed an attachment to the patient, that evidence is bias in favor of the patient, uh, which means that they're not going to be objective. They're going to be subjective. Um, and so all of that was, was within parameters. And where Martinez did cross the line, the judge, you know, basically called him out on it and he apologized and he you know tried not to do it again sometimes he did sometimes he didn't yeah um you know but again i think part of it was uh like jody some of these witnesses were very passive aggressive and some you know these witnesses were not willing to concede that you know like Dr. Samuels actually argued that whether it was PTSD or an attack by Travis, she, you know, whether it was intruders who attacked them or Travis attacking her, it didn't matter. She had PTSD. Well, it does kind of matter because the trauma, you know, the, the exact trauma is important. And right. if the patient is lying about the trauma on the test how can you trust that they're yeah she's lying about everything not lying about the the impact of that trauma on them so uh but the the mistrial motions were denied they held a conference to settle final jury instructions on day 44 on days 45 and 46 final jury instructions were given the defense uh gave its closing argument state gave his closing argument and then the defense got the last word 
and rebuttal. Um, days 46 through 51 uh, were jury deliberations and an impasse instruction was read in open court on day 49. There was also juror 17, who I can only speculate, but I firmly believe was a plant because she was friends with Maria De La Rosa on Facebook. Oh, wow. And they got her on the jury. She had seen, um, uh, she had seen the, one of the Jodi Arias movies. Um, and she, the jurors reported that she was refusing to deliberate. She was refusing to, um, you know, she was refusing to engage in deliberations. And she told the judge, well, they're not listening to me and played the victim. And, you know, my opinion is not being given credit. And she probably got participation trophies all of her life. And so she thinks that she's special and that people have to bow down to her. Wow. And do things the way she wants them done. And I think it also came out afterwards that her husband or ex-husband had been prosecuted by Juan Martinez. Oh my god. Oh wow. Oh. I, yeah, that feels like no conflict. How did she get on the jury? Um well, she again, you know, it was probably not disclosing some things that weren't discovered until later. Yeah. Um and being able to basically lie and say I'm going to consider Mm. all options yeah i just can't, had no I can't believe though of considering death i just can't believe with no no like connection to the prosecutor's office it seems like somebody would have said you know they would have asked no, if you ever I, had the prosecutor relationship. the prosecutor you know she may not have she didn't say i, I don't think she disclosed the name of this ex-husband on her questionnaire mm. And he may not have known her name. Right. So he wouldn't have. I just thought they might have offered and, the. You know, in, in Arizona and New Mexico, um, there are a lot of names like Martinez that are like Smith. Yeah. And so even if he knew the name, he may not have connected it with the person he prosecuted. Right. Um. And I think, like I said, I think that that came out after the trial as potentially, but it's hard when you have a penalty phase where there's a mistrial, it's very difficult for the state to get yet another do-over, even if there is a plant on the jury. Right. And so I think that, you know, the, the Maricopa County just determined that it wasn't worth trying to go after her. Yeah, I just kind of let it go. But um, yeah, I think she lied, and she had no if she had no intention of ever considering death. So, um, but anyway, so then on May March fifth, twenty fifteen, the jury reported it was unable to reach a unanimous verdict. They had 11 votes for death and one vote for life. 
the jurors were dismissed. And because there was no unanimous jury verdict, a sentencing was set for April 13, 2015. Uh, that was held on April 15, 2015. Victim impact statements were given by Heather Schaefer, who I believe was an aunt or cousin of the Alexander siblings. Hillary Wilcox, who was one of Travis's sisters, Tanisha Sorensen, another sister, and Samantha Alexander, a uh, third sister. Uh, statements were also made on behalf of Arias by her mother, and Jody Arias made a statement. And again, one of the most disgusting things that she will ever do in her entire life. At the end of her statement, she said, and I remember everything, and Travis was still conscious when I slit his throat. Ugh. Which means, guess what, bitch? You just proved you didn't shoot him in the head first. Yeah. And people <laughs> still think she's innocent. And there are people who think she's innocent and think she was a victim of domestic violence. Which I, I don't believe she was. I don't yeah. believe that she was. I believe that Travis may have at one point lost his shit and may have gotten physical, low-level physical with her. But I promise you, passive-aggressive button-pushing Jody's bullshit is what pushed him right. to lose his shit on her. Right. Um, because having a temper myself, I know... Nothing gets me madder than a passive aggressive response to me when I'm already a little bit angry. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, again, it's not like not trying to excuse it, but I mean, come on, let's. Yeah. But and, you know, occasionally, like I said, and, and you know, you got to look at some of the things like one of the things Jody did. Jody destroyed a BMW she was, quote, buying from Travis. By trying to tow it in gear with the real reels on the ground. And she did that on purpose. And I think she, she did stupid. it on purpose. No, I think she did it on purpose. Because it would give her more excuse to remain in Travis's life. Because right. this is when she's moving back to Wairika. If he didn't give her a beat down for that. <laughs> What it, what on earth <laughs> makes you believe that he would beat her up? And like, she's a person who's terrible financial condition, terrible finances, yeah. in debt, up to her ass, owes everybody money, money, money. And she says Travis is coming to her to borrow money. Like, you know, that's like, there are people I know, no matter how desperate I am, I know not to ask them for money because I know as much as they would love to help me, they don't have it. And so I'm not going to make them feel guilty or bad. Right. You know, and Travis is not going to go to her for money. I mean, this is the guy that owns this house. Um, yeah. The, the real estate meltdown probably is one of the reasons he was running out rooms. Uh, to help with his mortgage, but that's probably because the mortgage went out of control. Yeah. You know, um, and he was working in, you know, he was working, he was in a position at prepaid legal where he was probably making pretty good money. 
Right. Because he had so many people underneath him. Um, so, you know, she doesn't say what he would need to borrow money for. Or, you know, again, but like I said, if he's not going to give her a beat down for ruining that car, he's certain sure as hell is not going to beat her up for not lending him $200, which yeah. I don't believe he ever asked her for. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, why didn't he give her a beat down when, when she's found hiding behind his Christmas tree after he's told her he doesn't want her in the house? Hello? I yeah. mean, you know. It's it's just it doesn't make sense, and the reason I think that he could never extract himself from her clutches is because he was a very. I I don't think he was really suited for the Mormon Church because he was a very sensual, a very sensually, uh, sensually a person who was very gosh who who liked physical pleasure so wait, you think that means he wasn't suited for it i, I be, well because of the mormon church's abstinence from premarital sex requirement and i think part of that is because of his childhood he was looking for love he was looking for any kind of love he could get, including physical. And I think that was an aspect of his personality. I don't think it was a deviant thing. It was just he craved physical closeness with people, with women. Yeah, that makes sense. And so when he finally has, you know, he's not dating a Mormon girl who's trying to stay pure He's dating, you know, the whore of Babylon, Jody Arias, who's going to sneak into his house at night, come up to his room, take off all his clothes, take off all her clothes, and crawl naked into bed with him. Of course, he's not going to say no to that. And because of his sensual nature, he probably couldn't. And I don't mean it as a negative thing about him. I don't mean it's anything wrong with him. There are people that just, you know, there are women that because they didn't get enough love from their fathers, they date their father and go way too far. Or they do things to keep men around, including giving them money when they should be telling them to fuck off. Um, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's maybe a little character flaw. But it's not what Arius tried to make it into as a sign of deviance. That's where I'm. But, you know, Mormon, the Mormon faith of uh, being a Catholic where, you know, they frown on premarital sex, but it's not a mortal sin. Or it's not really seen as a mortal sin anymore. Whereas for the Mormons, it was. And that is my theory about why she had the debauchery on June 4th with him instead of just killing him the minute she got there. And that is because she wanted to ensure that he would know as he died, he's going to hell. That's crazy. Whatever Mormon version there is. He's devious. 
because that would be ultimately that would destroy him ultimately is not even letting him go in a state of grace right you know so um the judge uh found that uh arius was found guilty after a trial by jury and found her guilty of first degree premeditated murder uh, and ordered her sentence to a term of imprisonment in the Arizona Department of Corrections for natural life, which means she is not to be released for any reason for the remainder of her natural life. And that in Arizona means she is never, ever, ever getting out. Uh, she was also ordered to pay a probation assessment to submit to DNA testing and to um, be transferred to the Arizona Department of Dire Corrections from the Sheriff of Maricopa County and um, a copy of the order was ordered to go to the Arizona Department of Corrections. Arias waived the pre-sentence report. Uh, which means there's got to be stuff in her background that she didn't want being found because on the pre-sentence report, they would probably find it. Uh, personally, I think that she was turning tricks and she was stealing from people. Um, and on, uh, oop, then there was another order by a different judge on April 13th, Judge Kramer, uh, defendant having been convicted and sentenced in nat to natural life in the Arizona Department of Corrections on April 13th, 2015, finds that she is no longer joined for consideration of the omnibus motion to dismiss the death penalty. There was a minute entry on April 1st, 2015, appointing the Maricopa Public Defender's Office to represent Arias on appeal. Uh, there was another minute entry vacating the rest, a restitution hearing that had been set for June 1st and resetting it to the 22nd. At that restitution hearing on the 22nd, the defense stipulated to restitution to Samantha, Tanisha, Hillary, Stephen, and Dennis um, in varying amounts and further ordered restitution to be paid monthly beginning on June 22nd, 2015, at the rate of 20 to 50% of inmate account as determined by ADOC. There was a motion to enforce protective order filed on October 26, 2015 by Arias in the Arizona Court of Appeal, Division One. That was ultimately declined. Arias also filed a motion to strike in the trial court on the 26th. A minute entry was entered on the 15th, allowing Wilmot to withdraw. I believe um, Nermi was also, also withdrawn when the public defender's office was appointed. Or maybe he was just like, see ya. Yeah. He was <laughs> at his comedy I club. Don't care. Um, he, was, he was doing his stand -up. No, no. He, he had returned to his private practice that he probably had not gotten off the ground yet because Arius... Arius's trial and retrial took so long. Um, there was a motion to, uh, the motion to enforce a protective order was denied by the Court of Appeal. A minute entry on the uh, Arius's ex party 
motion to strike was entered on the 15th of December. And uh, Arias filed a motion to reconsider, but that was denied on January 11th, 2016. Uh, her direct appeal, uh, Peg Green and Corey Engel were appointed to represent her. Uh, her notice of appeal was filed April 30th. Her appellant opening brief was filed on July 30th, 2018. The issues presented were the trial judge's failure to protect Arias sufficiently from the massive, pervasive, and prejudicial publicity during her trial, violated her rights to a fair trial. The trial court violated her right to confront witnesses and the rules of evidence when it allowed Officer Friedman to repeat statements made to him by Aries' grandparents regarding a 25 caliber handgun that was allegedly stolen from their home during a burglary. The trial court abused its discretion when she allowed the state's expert to testify regarding Arias's mental state at the time of the crime, that she was forced to wear a stun belt throughout trial, thus violating her right to a fair trial. Uh, the trial court committed error, clear error when she refused to reinstate panelists after the defense's the defense brought the prosecutor's improper peremptory strikes to her attention and pervasive and persistent prosecutorial misconduct denied Arias her rights to due process. Uh, an appellee's response brief was filed. I'm not going to go into those issues. And in her reply brief, she basically reiterated the prior issues. Oral argument was held on October 17, 2019. And the focus of that ar argument was oddly uh, Martinez's alleged misconduct during the trial. Um, yeah, and I think he, they're just constantly complaining that he did something wrong, yeah. right? Yeah, well, part of the reason is because in an opinion issued by the Court of Appeal, I believe it was the Court of Appeal, they did point out instances of misconduct by Martinez in multiple cases over the years. And so that was the beginning of the end for Martinez. Hmm. Uh, a decision was rendered by the Court of Appeal on March 24th, 2020. And this is another really weird thing. There were two decisions. There was a there was an opinion that was published and it was uh, issued on the 24th of March, holding that the defendant failed to show that either the juror's ability to impartially and fairly decide the case or her defense team's trial performance was adversely affected by the trial publicity because while defense counsel and defense experts received numerous threats and were vilified in various corners of social media, it was unclear what defendant would have had the trial court do to perfect, perfect the defense team, protect the defense team from negative media exposure. Defendant was not entitled to a new trial because there was no reasonable likelihood that the persistent and egregious prosecutorial misconduct affected the jury's verdict and she was not deprived of a fair trial. The overwhelming evidence of defendant's guilt as reflected through her own admissions would not have permitted any reasonable jury to acquit her of premeditated murder and the judgment was affirmed. Now, there was also an unpublished memorandum decision issued on April 21st, 2020. And that was on 
uh, found that defendant failed to show that either the juror's ability to impartially and fairly decide the case or her defense team's trial performance was adversely affected um, by ad pre-trial publi by, by publicity. Defendant was not deprived of a fair trial because she was convicted based upon overwhelming evidence. Oh, I guess these were exactly the same. Or I copied the wrong one. I did. I copied the wrong one. My apologies. Uh, uh, that one dealt with the stun belt and um, the the misconduct during cross-examination alleged uh, misconduct by Martinez. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, you know what? When we do our update, I will go through this one. I will get this one right. And tell everybody what it said. Um, because we need to keep moving. <laughs> uh, there was an order issued on November 3rd, 2020, by the Arizona Supreme Court denying Arias's request for review of the Court of Appeal. And then her conviction became final. Her conviction and sentence became final on February 1st, 2021, when a petition for writ of review was not filed to the U.S. Supreme Court. So, post-trial developments. Multiple books have been published about this case starting in June of 2013. Uh, there was Killer Girlfriend, the Jody Arias story by Brian Skoloff and Josh Hoffner. Jane Velez Mitchell wrote Exposed, The Secret Life of Jody Arias, which came out on August 20th, 2013. I would recommend that book. It's pretty good. Although... It's a little bit like the um, Selena secret because it doesn't really reveal, reveal anything that secret. Uh, Shanna Horgan, the late Shanna Horgan, wrote a book called Picture Perfect, The Jody Arias Story, A Beautiful Photographer, Her Mormon Lover, and A Brutal Murder, which came out in September of 2013. I would also recommend that book as well. It was very good. Kim Ann Whitmore wrote a book, Behind the Words, a a Logical and Satirical Guide to the Impossible Defense of Jody Arias. That was a book in two volumes, which was published on April 18, 2015. Paul Saunders wrote a book, Why Not Killer? A Juror's Perspective, The Jody Arias Death Penalty Retrial. And that was published on in July of 2015. Um, he wasn't an actual juror on the trial, so I don't know how he could call it a juror's perspective. He did sit through the penalty phase retrial, I guess. Um, but he wasn't an actual juror. Our Friend Travis uh, by Chris and Sky Hughes, which was published in July of 2015. L. Kirk Nermy wrote a book, Trapped with Mrs. Arias, with Miss Arias, part one of three, From Getting the File to Being Ready for Trial. And that was published in November of 2015. And then Trapped with Miss Arias, parts two and three, My Final Words, was published in April of 2020. Um, again, I would not recommend these books because they really were not, they were not easy to read. They were not well written. I don't know what he was thinking. It was self-published and obviously he did not have a friend to act as his editor. Uh, and then finally, Conviction, The Untold Story of Putting Jody Arias Behind Bars by Juan Martinez was published in February of 2016. It was also a book I would recommend. It was excellent. 
and it really it really did you know it did bring everything full circle uh in 2015 there was an investigation of Nermi as a result of his book trapped with Misarius and there were apparently two file numbers two state bar files open 15-3024 and 15-3288 one complaint was filed by Arius uh, I don't know whether the second one was filed by her counsel or by someone else um, and then an investigation was also filed against Juan Martinez state bar file number 15-3363 I'm not quite sure what the allegations whether they were specific to Arius's trial or other allegations of misconduct because once Arius and her advocates started whining about Juan Martinez people came out of the woodwork to join the chorus uh, judgment of disbarment was entered on November 21st 2016 uh, while admitting no misconduct, Mr. Nermi did not contest that he violated ethical rules where, when he wrote Trapped with Miss Arias, a book dealing with his representation of Jody Arias in a criminal case. The book was published without Arias's permission or authority and presented Arias in a negative light. The book included several confidential discussions between Mr. Nermi, Arias, and her family, during his promotion of the book, Nermi disclosed facts and circumstances related to his representation of Arius. And then a second set of... I mean, uh, how dumb do you have to be to do that? I mean, I just... Well, I I mean, I what think, a nutcase. I think what happened, Nermi is probably about as narcissistic as Arius. And he was taking such heat in the social media world for basically advocating the domestic violence and the pedophilia. And um, I would even go so far as to say suborning perjury on behalf of Jody Arias. Wow. That he was trying to redeem himself or clear his conscience. And so this was his way of saying, look, this is what I had to do because the court made me continue representing her even after I left the public defender's office because I wanted to stop representing her. So, um, you know, I don't necessarily blame him. And he knew the consequences because he apparently told people, this is satisfying enough. I don't care if I have to turn in my bar card. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's what I thought was crazy. And then 2017-2018 additional investigations of Martinez were opened under file number 17-0624 and 18-0693. On October 24, 2017, Arias filed a civil complaint against Kirk Nermi. Uh, she claimed breach of uh, her causes of action were breach of fiduciary duties, unjust enrichment, and constructive trust. She requested imposition of constructive trust on all money received for sales of the book, appearances, appearance fees on social media, and all profits received as a result of his breach of duties. A return to plaintiff money received for sales of the book, 
transparency fees on social media and all profits received as a result of Nuri's breach of duties, pre- and post-judgment interest at the highest rate allowed under law and all other equitable relief deemed just and proper. On uh, February 9th, 2018, Nermi filed a motion for judgment on the pleadings. I don't have a copy of this document, but apparently due to, uh, due to the response filed on behalf of Arius, I know that it was basically a trash Jody Arias tome. <laughs> and um, if if the cost to download it from the Maricopa County Court wasn't so prohibitive, I would have downloaded it. You would have gotten it. Uh, and then Nermi filed a, a reply in support of his motion in March of 2018. But what Arius or what Arius' counsel, I guess, again, I guess they thought she was special. They filed this civil lawsuit. She's a plaintiff. She has the burden of proof. Guess what? Guess who gets a deposition first in a civil lawsuit? Ding, ding, ding. Plaintiff. Mm. but she's got a pending at this time a pending direct appeal her conviction and sentence aren't yet final so she wants to not have to sit for a deposition and the court's like no 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 sweetie you gotta have a deposition so then she files for a protective order to seal that deposition and request an evidentiary hearing uh, Nermi responds to that. She files a motion in support, a reply in support. And then her criminal attorneys file an application to intervene for the limited purpose of an, an interposing an objection to a video deposition. Again, they're thinking we're going to have to stop this deposition from happening. So on July 13, 2018, the court issued an under advisement ruling uh, basically finding that the defense, the criminal attorneys had no right of intervention, but ordering that the proceedings would be stayed until her criminal appeal became final. Um, so that would protect everybody's rights. Mm. And so they ordered uh, a stay of the civil action until resolution of the criminal appeal and vacated the pretrial status trial scheduling conference that was set for April of 2019. Nermi also had another motion for a summary, uh, a summary determination of one of Arius's motions or 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 something, but that was stayed as well. Uh, then the a bar complaint was filed on March 1st, 2019, by the uh, presiding disciplinary arm of the. Um, of the Arizona State Bar. On April 30th, 2020, a reprimand was issued to Martinez under file number 2017-9044. Uh, and that basically dealt with the alleged misconduct in uh, other cases in addition to Arias. Um, and basically they found that he, you know, made improper arguments to the juries and he uh, tried to get the juries to put themselves in the shoes of victims 
victims' families, and um, that was improper argument. And that was kind of along the lines with what they had found in whatever opinion they rendered previously. And then on July 17, 2020, in PDJ file number 2019-9008, which was the formal complaint filed by the disciplinary arm, um, he was disbarred. In a two-count complaint, the state bar alleged that Mr. Martinez testified falsely during a state bar deposition and sexually harassed female employees of the Maricopa County Attorney's Office and a Maricopa County Superior Court court reporter. The state bar alleged that Martinez violated Rules 42, uh, Ethical Rules 8.1, 8.4, and, and Rule 41, and um, Martinez did file a consent to disbarment pursuant to Rule 57, by which he elected not to defend against the allegations, but without admitting any misconduct. So, and this has nothing to do with Jody Arias's trial, or, um, or you know, anything he did uh, in Jody Arias's trial. Although they'll, her advocates will act like it does. It doesn't. Um, and I wish I had been at the Maricopa County uh, Attorney's Office when Juan Martinez was just starting his shit. I think his wife died. Uh, a few years before the Arias oh. trial. And I think that he began thinking he was some kind of Casanova when he really wasn't. Because mm. he's an Oompa Loompa. <laughs> I mean, he's a little bitty guy. Okay? He's an Oompa Loompa. Um, and, and so he started making comments like he told a court reporter he wanted to climb her. Um, and and, you know, I wish I'd been there because I would have put him in his place. I've been like, look, Uncle Lumpa, you're going to be everybody's friend, but you're never going to be Casanova. So just give it up. Hang it up. I mean, it's you're just, just going to be a nice guy uh, and that's it. You know, you're going to be the guy in the romance movie that never gets the girl. Because I mean, you're an Oompa Loompa. Yeah, I mean, I know it's amazing. Like, I'm not excusing any of their conduct, but like, this seems to be like a lot of destruction left in this bitch's wake. I mean, not only, you know, poor Travis, but I mean, just her attorney, the prosecutor. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe it is. She just really revealed all this injustice, but golly, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of people <laughs> that are just going about their daily yeah. lives that wish they never encountered the psycho. Mm-hmm. yeah i totally agree and I mean, uh to, i mean to get your attorney and the prosecutor disbarred well I mean, you know she didn't before? but but let's let's make it clear she didn't get nermi disbarred well no nermi but i mean wrote a book that yeah. he shouldn't have written what nermi Fair. should have done was done like diana but, he should have recorded these stories he should have passed them off to an actual writer under strict secrecy and then let the writer go to town 
No, fair enough. I guess it's just she's made it. It feels like and she's caused so much insanity in her wake. So, you know, no, he he's disbarred because of his own actions. Yeah. Martinez, what what he ended up being disbarred for had absolutely nothing to do. <laughs> and really, he lied at the he lied in a deposition. He probably downplayed or denied the allegations about the statements not realizing that those bitches had documented every fucking thing. And there were witnesses right? when he made these statements. And, um, you know, and, and I don't think they went back. One of the things that's difficult with the Me Too movement is sometimes people are going back to things that happened in the 90s. When the lines were a little blurrier. They weren't as crisp and clear as right. they are now. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I tell people when one of my attorneys makes me angry or annoys me greatly, I tell people I want to climb him like a tree and smack him upside his head because he's a very tall, tall man. And sometimes I say I'm going to get up on a chair and smack him up on the side, upside his head. Of course, my other attorney, Unicorn, Never, ever annoys me, does no wrong, and is just a joy. But I have more fun with the tall man. <laughs> yeah, you, there's always kind of that love, hate, he annoys Be, you. But because you like I, e I equally annoy him, and he probably wants to stand in a hole <laughs> and smack me upside my head. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one time, and I told him one time, you know, he said something to me and I was in a bad mood and I was like, if you don't stop, I'm going to kick you in the knee or hit you and punch you in the <laughs> knee. Cause that's about where I am. <laughs> that's about all I can reach. Well, actually I could probably reach something a lot more painful, but I'm not going to go there because I don't <laughs> want HR involved. There you go. We don't need you getting disbarred. <laughs> Well, luckily, no. That's another thing. I don't have to worry about getting this part. Because <laughs> I'm not an attorney. Anyway, so enough of that. Um, And if he listens to the show, he's going to know exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, anyway. Um, but we play and we're very good friends. And, and like I said, I have more fun with him than I have with the unicorn. So. Although I do take great pleasure in the times when I make the unicorn really laugh. Because um, I, I do say the funniest shit sometimes. <laughs> okay, anyway. Maybe you can do a comedy show with uh, with Nerf. Yeah, <laughs> Nerf. Do, yeah. You can do a All right. double uh, so, comedy. Uh, after her criminal uh, her, after her criminal conviction was was uh, affirmed and her sentence was affirmed um she had to drop her case against nermy because she can't benefit from her crime which getting the profits from nermy's book would be in a benefit from her crime so she had to voluntarily dismiss her case so a motion to lift stay was filed the stay was lifted and then she filed a, a voluntary dismissal which was granted on april 21st 2021 i don't believe that there was ever any kind of settlement. 
I believe Nermi was completely vindicated in this because usually uh, a voluntary dismissal when you settle, it's a motion to dismiss with prejudice, so it can never be refiled. Whereas a voluntary dismissal can sometimes be refiled. And I don't have the actual pleadings to know whether this is with or without prejudice. Um, and then state post-conviction, she has filed her notice for post-conviction relief. Uh, she has been going through the pre uh, pre stages of that um council has been appointed so anybody who goes to jodiarius.com and sees that she needs attorneys to do this for her that's a lie uh the state of arizona has appointed council and is paying council on her behalf and they were appointed on february 26 2021 um so she's going through the whole process and they 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 have periodic status conferences. She has filed her petition. I believe a response has been filed. They have been in the discovery stages. So they've got uh, the, the disciplinary stuff on Martinez and um, they are uh, going through the process of state post-conviction relief, but I'm not going to go through everything now. Uh, and where we stand is that there is a here a status conference set for January 17, 2024, which Arias will attend by telephone. Uh, she also has NAP Council, which I will have to look up for our update program, which will be in four weeks, uh, the 14th of January, roughly. Um, because I don't know what NAP Council is, but guess who? Amy Knight from Glossop. Of course. So, um, and she's gotten a copy, a full copy of the defendant's case file, including everything, transcripts, exhibits, instruments, court orders, and minute entries, which were previously sealed. Uh, and, and that's another thing that was done by the post-conviction court is that all of the sealed minute entries and sealed hearings and sealed transcripts have been unsealed. So that is, that is it for Jody Arias. Um, again, I will pull that April 21st, 2020 uh, opinion and holding and and go through that when we do our updates i'm i figured this is the last episode of season two got it hey real quick just for fun i did a quick google search it looks like a nap council is kind of a, an arizona thing based on an arizona supreme court case of nap versus hardy which basically means a defendant can keep a public defender and also hire a private attorney to sort of Okay. I guess the second chair. So it's kind of like you're the, you don't lose your public defender, but you can hire somebody else. So I guess that would give like a defendant the ability to continue to be repped by okay. public defender. Well, but then, then somebody I like an Amy Knight, who probably does like. Yeah. You know, but that means stuff. Amy Knight's, but Amy Knight could also be pro bono. Yeah, that's right. I get, yeah, she could still be pro bono. 
Yeah, doesn't so that'll be interesting, but hopefully crazy. that will give the court some leeway to inquire into that situation. Because as I think you and I discussed, or or maybe Roberta and I talked about it, um, or maybe I talked about it with somebody else that on, on yeah. So basically, yeah, it says they can hire hire to do a portion of the case, even if they're indigent and can't afford a full time representation. Yeah. Because, but to uh, your point, could still be pro bono. Yeah. So, so okay. Maybe, maybe they are using those funds to pay Amy Knight, but maybe Amy Knight's pro bono. We'll have to. Hopefully, the court will right. inquire and answer that. Um. But that is uh, that is Jody Arias. We are going to take off for the holidays because uh, I have quite the active social calendar next weekend. Unlike prior years, I am not staying home for my four-day weekend. Well, excellent. Anything exciting that you should share I with am, your fans? I am attending a gingerbread cookie party on Saturday the 23rd with my good friend Brittany and her family. And I'm debating whether I'm actually going to bring cookies or our gingerbread house or if I'm just going to go and enjoy. <laughs> because I do not have an artistic bone in my body. <laughs> and I do not feel that I should spend like $15 on a pre-made gingerbread house that is going to look awful <laughs> when I'm done with it <laughs> <laughs> because I decorated a pumpkin for Halloween. And even though I, I pretend I'm proud of it, it's on my, you know, on my, um, uh, upper cabinets in my cubicle every time i see it i'm like oh my god <laughs> you 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 were so horrible in art class and it hasn't changed <laughs> and then the 24th i have a another good friend tony um she's having a christmas eve party so i'm going to i'm going to attend that with her and then i'm probably going to drive to thibodeau and spend monday and tuesday with my sister my sisters and my niece and nephew and um, maybe at her, my, my former brother-in-law's family and then come home on Wednesday and well, go back excellent. to work on Friday. Well, safe travels. And yeah, we will uh, talk next year. And yeah. So, um, and we already cleared, we're, we're coming back to record on the 14th of January because I do want to have my, four-day weekend on new year's of course absolutely and hopefully i won't get another respiratory infection because <laughs> <laughs> the last two new years i've had to deal with cold weather and a respiratory infection well, and felt no like good. crap stay healthy this year but at sure. least it wasn't covid yeah that's true but now i have my covid test <laughs> so um so i uh at least now, if I get sick, I can I can answer that question without sitting on Berman Highway and <laughs> or not Berman Highway on Belchase Highway in front of the Oshner in the line for COVID testing. Oh, that was awful because I was so sick the first day I got turned away because I wasn't in the driveway yet. And then the second day. I got there at 8.15 and I didn't leave until 1. I didn't get the 
And it's you're sitting there for hours to have a Q-tip shoved up your nose. So far, it hurts. That just isn't right. Yeah, those are no fun. So, all right. Well, I will. Um, I will go ahead and do the outro, and we will call it a night. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. Talk they to you have next a, year. Have a happy Christmas and happy holidays, and you and your family stay safe. Yeah, absolutely. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Based in Fact, a true crime podcast with Lisa O'Brien and Kyle Evans. If you like the show and want to know more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Facebook, or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien LAN. Kyle and I will return in four weeks for season three, episode one, updates. We'll talk about developments and cases we covered during seasons one and two. Until then, have a safe and happy holiday season. A great four weeks and stay safe.